Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Braddon. I go by SEC Michael on Twitter. And I'm joined, as always, by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Balls on Twitter. What are you up to, you big Tennessee homer? <laughs> hey, buddy, what's going on? Oh, man, we are winding down the week. I can barely mm-hmm. talk. I almost forgot my own name. My, I think I'm going horse. But we are getting saved here, Shane, because just in a second, we're going to hop to our interview. Nick Nudson from Read and Reaction. First time on the show. He's uh, he, he partners with Will Miles, who's been on the show a bunch of times. Going to talk some Florida Gators football. We had Tennessee yesterday, Shane. We got to switch it up and get to them <laughs> Gators today. You know what? <laughs> Absolutely, Mike. And this is going to be a fast one, Mike. I, I finally get to do a show topic. Mike's like, all right, you got 10 minutes. Knock it out. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so what you got? But, uh, I'm Shane? doing good. Just want to give all the listeners a little bit of an update. Big Orange Walk's going great. Thanks for all the support online. Thanks for all the follows on YouTube. Uh, I'm down 38, 37 pounds. I can't remember, but one of those. It's pretty damn good, Mike. I'm pretty excited about that. Went to the heart doctor for a checkup today. Everything went good. So, brother, I, the life is looking good, you know? Man, you're slimming down. You're coming up with show topics. Next, you're going to show up. You're going to have a long blonde hair or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Let's don't get too carried away. Yeah. That's our first sponsor by Rogaine. No. So what do you got for me, Shane? Uh, show top. Well, I kind of got influenced by the heart doctor, man. I go there and uh, and and talk to the doc, and he's like, hey, let's get one of these tests done. You know, they they, they put gel on you like you got a baby, and they... Put uh-huh. that stuff up to you, and they're checking out your heart, different sides, and everything like that. So I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to read the room. You know, this lady's doing this, and I'm like, does she look concerned? <laughs> you know, <laughs> the entire time I'm like, what are all those colors mean in there? So uh, obviously, she gave me no news, but she said, if you get a phone call, we'll we'll, we'll bring you in. If you don't, that's good news. No news is good news, and uh, we'll we'll bring you back in six months. Six months, and we'll talk about it. So then I thought, Mike, you know, show show topic. We all got that feeling, man, like we're going to have a good season or a bad season. If mm-hmm. if th- things go this way, it's going to be a good year. If things go this way, it could be a bad year. So this is going to be a quick roundup. All 14 teams, Mike, we're just going to go. And I don't want to go. I don't want to start with Alabama. Just because they start with an A, that doesn't seem fair. We, I want to start from Vanderbilt and go the other way. I always hated that. My, my last name it was started with an S. So it's like all the kids, like, I'm punished because my parents had, you know, an S as a, as their last name and and not Adams here, you know. So so right. let's start from reverse Vanderbilt. If you know, as the show topic, if all goes well, I mean, if this happens, Vanderbilt is going to have an excellent season. But if this happens, I feel like Vanderbilt's going to take a step back because I feel like they got progress. Does that make sense? Does this show topic? Makes sense at all. Yeah, I just, I don't know how we're going to knock it out in five minutes, but we try. Let's be quick. Let's be quick. I'll go first. If if I think, if if Swan is mm-hmm. as good as I think he can be, brother, if he's the next Cutler, if he's, if he's the next, you know, Vanderbilt quarterback that pops up and just makes them relevant again, mm-hmm. I truly think 
that Vanderbilt not only will win their four games, you know, at, that circus is put on here, but I think they can make a bowl game, Mike. That's how good I think. I think this this if if Swan stays healthy and is as good as I think he is. Yeah. Well, next the the challenge now, Shane, is going backwards. It's it's like you know when you get pulled over for DUI and they're like, do the alphabet backwards. Like that's how they get you because no one can do it backwards. I don't know if I could do the SEC teams backwards, but uh, who who would be next? A and M, I guess, right? So yeah, Texas A and M. I think if, for for them, I think, I, I think it's all about the offense. Bobby Petrino, yeah. how does he assimilate? Can they get good quarterback play? They had. Connor Wigman, who we're going to talk about with Nick. It's not just Florida discussion, but Connor Wigman, can he take that next step? He flashed brilliance at the end of last season. If if he can carry that over and he's even better, I mean, the, the Aggies got the talent to win. They got the talent to win the whole damn thing, Shane. They really do. Absolutely. Well, Tennessee being next, brother, I got to say, if this defense is legit – you know, everybody's talking about how much depth they've built on that side. You're yeah. feeling pretty confident Joe Milton, those wide receivers. But I'm telling you, if that defense takes a big step forward here, watch mm-hmm. out, man, because Tennessee's going to have no pro- problem putting points on the board. It's keeping them off the board has been their problem. Right. Uh, for South Carolina, Shane, I think it's all about consistency with Spencer Rattler. Mm-hmm. And, and pretty much as the team overall. I mean, they kind of peaks and valleys, but – We've seen Spencer Rattler, when he's on, he is on one of the best quarterbacks in the country. These South Carolina fans love him. They think he's a Heisman candidate. I'm not ready to go that far, but if he plays like he did against Clemson and Tennessee, he is. Can you get that from him all season long? That's a big question I got for the Gamecocks. Missouri, easy answer here, Mike, is quarterback. Yeah, what's cooking down there? If Cook, it really does take that step forward. Or maybe they cut the, the, the string quick here and we get some excellent quarterback play. Mizzou can run the dif- distance. There's a reason that I'm so confident with these guys, and a lot of that has to do with the defensive side of the ball. But if we got – I mean, we look at them chips sitting there beside you, Mike. If we get my man the ball, I'm telling you what, Mizzou can make some serious noise in the SEC East this year. Right. Uh, for Mississippi State, Shane, I would say uh, the, the new offense is a plus, not a minus. And, and that's no disrespect to Mike Leach, but the offense was not always as high-flying as you'd want it to be. Uh, mm-hmm. They're bringing more balance. They're going to run the ball more. That's going to rest the defense more. Um, and, and I've also been told, Shane, that Zach Arnett maybe didn't quite have the freedom to, to do exactly what he wanted to do on defense. Now he'll have that. So I, I guess what I'm trying to get at is the whole coaching staff overall. Maybe it's a big plus for the Bulldogs. And LSU simple, Mike. They just got to beat a couple of guys that we were underdogs with last year. I think this comes down to a couple of key games, big yeah. moments, and it starts right out of the gate, brother. And if LSU can punch FSU in the mouth and blow them out, brother, you've got yourself a national championship contender down there in LSU. Just I pressure, t- foot on the gas. I told you this was going to be tough. You skipped Ole Miss I, because we're going well, backwards. Well, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, yep, you're right. I got you. You do Ole Miss then. <laughs> Ole Miss is about the defense. We don't need you to be elite. You got Pete Golding now, quality defensive coordinator. We just need you to be not terrible. So somewhere <laughs> yeah. between solid and good. If you can get to that, Ole Miss will have the offense with Lane Kiffin and company. They could be a special team this year. 
I guess Kentucky, right, Mike? Now you got me all concerned yep. that I'm going to mess up on the alphabet here. Kentucky's real simple, Mike. It's just <laughs> continuity. You got a lot of new pieces that just hit the field up there. If uh-huh. that shit gels quick, brother, Kentucky is going to be scary. Kentucky yeah. is a fun team to watch, but I think it's going to be an explosive team this year. And that's one thing that we've missed up there in Lexington. So just again, getting going quickly. Uh, Georgia, I think it's just not getting complacent. If yep. you show up every day, you play with that edge, you're just going to beat the hell out of everybody. You're probably going to win three out of three. Yep, you're about to talk to the Florida Gators, and it's all about that running game, Mike. We need some help up front, though. I think this is offensive line. A lot of no names, new names. You're going you're gonna to see it jumbled around, but as soon as that unit can get together, brother, I'm telling you what, they can let these dogs eat behind them. Florida could be scary. Mm. Not that scary. I want to say, I want. I, I, I guess the upsets. That's something we talked about the gambling. Florida yeah. can upset people if that offensive line gets together quickly. All right, I'm going to run through this real quick because we're running out of time, yeah. Shane. Yeah. I think Auburn, offensive weapons, quarterback, Arkansas defense, Alabama has got to be quarterback, of course, with all those issues. They, those three teams get those three things solved. The sky's the limit, I think, for each of them. Absolutely. Let's hope we get good news. <laughs> all right, buddy. So let's kick it over to our interview with Nick and say goodbye, Shane, because you ain't going to be on this anymore. <laughs> See you guys. Go balls. <laughs> all right. Hey, we're pleased to be joined for the first time by Nick Knudsen from Read and Reaction, the Stand Up and Holler podcast. I've been on their show, and it's great to have you on the show, Nick. We've had Will Miles on the show a bunch of times. So now we've got the the duo, the ultimate duo here. <laughs> How's it going, man? It's going great, man. I appreciate the invite. Uh, you know, it's magazine season. We we put out a magazine for Read and Reaction and uh, been been a great reception to this point. Uh, you know, 2023 might be a little bit tough time in Gator Nation. Might be some tough times ahead still, some choppy waters ahead, but it's still football, man. You got to get behind it. And there are some there are some good things happening down in Gainesville, despite what you might hear out of the <laughs> national scene at times. Yeah, so that, let's get all into that, uh, Nick. And I wanted to ask you uh, or say thanks, first of all, for sending me a copy of the magazine. I cannot recommend it enough. 70 to, 72 pages. You have a digital version. You have a physical copy version. And I'm telling you guys, I mean, this is a deep, deep dive. I was telling Nick before we started recording, I wish, I wish, I wish I had a an edition like this for all 14 SEC teams, because even someone like myself who lives deep in the weeds of these SEC teams, this book is going to be invaluable to me all off season and even into the season. So uh, what made you guys want to do a physical copy? I know this is the second year you've done it, and mm-hmm. I believe this is the first year you've done a physical copy. What made you want to uh, do that additional uh, version of it? Well, I, I actually got one. I got one handy here. This is uh, this is something that I'm still a little bit in disbelief that I'm even holding this in my hand because I had to learn InDesign just to get it done here. <laughs> so, uh, so that was a lot of work. But it, it was it's a blast, uh, you know, being able to put this out because our whole thing was we we came up with the concept a couple of years ago. We were sitting around talking that we are just huge magazine nerds. If you look on this shelf here, the whole half of it here is uh, Phil Steele. Right. The whole top half half of the shelf. Like I I read so many. uh, I anytime I see a new preseason magazine uh, at Publix, I I get it. I read it. But the thing is, is you get that one page. Your Tennessee Volunteers fan, they're going to be there. They got a good season last year. You know, 
they they they're looking decent this year. They get two pages maybe if you're excited about the team, right? But that one page for the Gators this year in the Athlon magazine and. Yeah, I know Athlon. Athlon's great in the sense that you get to cover the whole spectrum, right? I'm reading about Colorado State and Wyoming and all these other teams. But if you just want to read about that your team, there is a little bit of a limit to that, and that's something. Last year, we just did a digital copy, and we wrote 150 pages in a Word doc, and we we went down. It was rosters, the paragraphs about every player. But this year, we had to be a little more concise with the uh physical copy and that's something that uh that we really had to work to cut down the content so we really had to choose no we don't need this we we do want that type of information and uh we were picky about it quite frankly so there were some things that even uh two months a month or two ago i'm like this is going to be in the magazine nope cut like we, we cut that out so uh, it, it's something that we ultimately it came together. There are some sections like uh, there's a great section from Will where he did play diagrams where it actually went through that Florida Tennessee game because that was probably one of the better games that Florida had on offense. And you can actually do the QR code in the corner where you can scan it, check the play, read the analysis. He's got it whole, all diagrammed up, and you can. I, I probably watch the play two or three times when I go through it. But that's uh, that's one of my favorite sections of the magazine, and I thought Will did a, a fantastic job on that section. Yeah, I'm glad you referenced that because this is the only college football preview magazine that I've ever seen with a QR code with links to videos. Like you're saying, it it helps complete the picture. So, I mean, I, I thought that was interesting. I thought the section you did with uh, recruiting and where each program – and you didn't do just Florida. You did an entire SEC mm-hmm. where – these programs are going to get prospects where they're going to get transfers. Uh, but, you know, I don't want to give too, what, too much of the magazine away, but what was your favorite or, or biggest lesson, you know, takeaway, what have you, of doing that section and seeing where, you know, school A, school B, where they go to get high school talent to enter their program? Uh, don't hold back on details. Feel free to jump into whatever you want. For the record, we're not we're not trying to hold it like that. We're, we want the information to get out to as many people as possible. So feel free to jump in on whatever questions you might have. But what I liked the best about it was we do a we do a lot of talking about recruiting on Read and Reaction. Anyone who watches our show, we have a weekly show on our YouTube channel uh, called Stand Up and Holler, where we do the top four topics. Uh, you know, we're both big PTI fans, so it's just basically it's, it's basically the Florida version of PTI. We we yeah. came up with that and we wanted to do something like that. But so we do four topics a week, but we talk a lot about recruiting and we get into the weeds with that. Uh, but the big topic around Gator Nation the last few years. We've had to come to terms with the fact that, hey, you know, Dan Mullen won a lot of games at, at Florida. Couldn't quite recruit at the level Georgia was recruiting. There was a couple of years where there was a little bit of that, uh, you know, t- push and pull over, well, that 2020 team, we went up there and smoked Georgia pretty good in Jacksonville, Kyle, uh, Kyle Trask, Kyle Pitts. But then 2021 happened and the bottom fell out after those two left. And uh, you can't, you got to have the talent there to replace it. And we, we didn't quite have the talent to replace those two guys. Uh, so you kind of saw the weakness in the system. I definitely think a lot of the angst, I say this on a lot of our shows, but a lot of the angst that is going on right now within Florida and around Florida is the fact that Georgia is just a monster right now. It, it, there's a little bit of us, we don't have the the rivalry with Alabama that ten, that Tennessee does, where you all see them the third Saturday of every October. 
that's something that's important to the Tennessee rivalry, right? We saw that last year. That was a, that was an amazing scene. Uh, it was probably the scene of the fall last year. It's probably the scene of the decade, maybe even. That was a great scene up there. So you can live with that because you run into Alabama and Atlanta. But we see Georgia every year. We got here Georgia every day. Uh, I, I don't know how many of y'all have been barked at by Georgia fans, but it's just they're, they're a tough fan base to it, when when you're beating them, it's fine. But when you're losing them, it's like, oh, you know, I got to do I got to do the barking, too, on top. I got to listen to that, too, on top of that. But it, it's a Georgia's really pushing Florida. And, you know, Georgia had to do some catching up of their own right at one point. You know, Mark Rick had a lot of great teams. Mark Rick was a good coach, but Mark Rick didn't quite get him over the top. They had to go to Kirby. They took that Alabama model. And we've seen a lot of saving assistants go out and not be able to do what Kirby's done. So what's mm-hmm. going on at Georgia is just absolutely unbelievable. But there's nobody at Florida is content to sit back and just let this roll for the next decade. They get, they're going to do every I, – I believe the, the administration, the fans, everybody has gotten behind Billy Napier to go in that direction. And if we have to suffer through a couple of tough years of roster turnover here to get things resituated – so be it. That's a little bit of the attitude right now. And uh, quite frankly, there's some things that Billy Napier does really well. And, and there's some things that are still need to be answered. But I will say a lot of the conversation I hear about Billy Napier on the national level, but well, if they have a tough season, I don't know about Billy Napier at Florida. Mm-mm. That, that you, you might find a few fans pop off and say things, but I think the feeling around the program is that this is a bigger job in terms of a rebuild than anyone was hoping it would be. And I I think that it's going to take time. It's going to take time. But you got a guy like DJ Lagway coming in, that a five star quarterback out of Texas. That's a nice start for a class. You got you got a few solid recruits that that recruiting class. The numbers aren't huge yet in terms of the quantity, but in terms of the quality. And we saw that last year. Napier stuck with the quality. He mostly stuck. The maps were awesome though in in that magazine because it really lays things out geographically where you you see, well, how big of a problem is Georgia, really? They came down in our state, in our backyard. They took nine guys out of here last year. I believe they took five from Georgia. If you go through the last five cycles, the top 20 players within your state, I'll give you an example, like LSU and Louisiana, they keep 35% of the top 20, top 20 players in Louisiana, 35% over the last five cycles. They're freaks. That doesn't happen anywhere almost. Georgia keeps about 25 but then they come down here and they've taken 19% of Florida out of Florida too. And you wonder, and then Alabama's taken 18%. Alabama and Georgia have taken 37% of the top 20 players in the last five cycles out of Florida. Florida, Florida State, Miami, the big three down here. Sorry, UCF. I know you're moving up, but uh, you know, they get get in the conversation a little bit and then we'll talk. But Florida, Florida State, Miami have have taken 32%. So the big three combined are getting beat out by Alabama and Georgia right now. And you wonder why those two teams are constantly in the national title hunt. And it, it really, the maps help, help really demonstrate that. Yeah, that's interesting. You went there, Nick, because I did want to ask you specifically, uh, you know, we don't have to harp a ton on last season, but w- what's more concerning to you that uh, Billy Napier's first team went, I'm not counting the bowl game just because so many players opted out and it was, I, I don't know. But number four overall pick, you go six and six. Is that a bigger concern or signing, I believe, one of the top 20 prospects out of the state of Florida, which in his first you know, full class there, uh, which, which one is a bigger red flag to you? 
neither one's great. You don't love either one. I, I would say the recruiting, I, this is the thing that everyone I, I think misses the boat on a little bit with a lot of the recruiting talk. The recruiting, the, Billy Napier has been in coaching for a long time. He's done it his way. He's done it one way for a long time. Everything has changed in the last couple of years. Um, did Florida make any major hiccups on the recruiting trail last cycle? Did you hear any stories about that? I heard a few. Did, did we have a pro, did we make a promise to a court a four star quarterback from across the country for an absurd amount of money that th- there was a couple issues right and, and there were a lot the laws in Florida is that you're not supposed to have the coaches communicate directly with the NIL people. I'm not sure how the NIL people know who to recruit if that's the case, but there's some silly so all that stuff is a little crazy to me. But you have to acknowledge that there were some major changes within. Uh, college football and how to do things. Do I think that he did a better job than what's been done in the past? I know we it doesn't look like it in the rankings, but if you look at the quality of player he brought in, we only signed 20 last year, Mike. But he's, he demand a certain level of quality. If you look at the quality of player we're bringing in, I, I do believe he's doing a great job on that. And it, it's I, I do think that some evidence has to be seen on the field as well. But I don't know if this is going to be the year to deliver on that. It, Richardson... I, I heard started hearing chatter about halfway through the year that, oh, yeah, no, he's seriously considered going to the NFL. I'm like, I know he's got the body for it, and I know he's got the arm for it. I was a little shocked at that point because of what I had seen on the field. I'm like, I feel like this guy needed another year of development, but clearly the NFL liked him enough to take him number four in, at, the, at the top of the draft there. And, uh, you know, best of luck to, to him out there. But we had some great game against Tennessee – didn't play so good the week before against Kentucky. So it was a little bit of a roller coaster last year with Richardson. And I know Graham Mertz coming in. And I I, I made I wrote this down to myself. I will not hype Graham Mertz. I will not hype Graham Mertz. I'm not going to get on the Graham Mertz train this offseason because I feel like we know who he is. But at the same time, if Richardson's like an added eight one game and on a four another game and seven, and it's kind of going like that. If Mertz can come in and just kind of be that six or seven, that stability factor, you get the – the veteran leadership, he keeps the interceptions down. We're kind of just a steady team that runs the ball. If the defense could show up for the first time in about four seasons, that would also change the outlook too. I, I do think that you can kind of make up for for the loss of Richardson if those type of things come together. So, The over-under for Florida, I've, I've seen it at multiple books. I'm, I'm sure you've seen it too. Five mm-hmm. and a half. I, I assume that would be bet up, but it has not been, uh, at least to my knowledge, since right. I last checked it. Uh, is, that's got to be the lowest number of, of our lifetime, right? I mean, I, can I, you, I would think so. Yeah, yeah. I, can't, I can't ever remember it being that low, but uh, are you surprised by that, or are you surprised it's not been bet up? What's your thoughts on that? I, I would think – so I got him at I, – I, I got him at six and six again. And part of it, too, you play Utah, you play Florida State. Can we have the Georgia non-conference schedule? <laughs> Who are they playing? Is UAB their tough top dog on the on the non-conference schedule this year? Trent Dilfer and the Blazers? Maybe, maybe Georgia Tech. Uh, yeah, maybe. I, I don't I don't know. I don't know if you want to. Oh, no. I mean, let's they, not they, give them too much credit easy, there. Right. Yeah. They, I, I know they I, I believe Georgia did have Oklahoma and they bumped it. Because right. of uh, the obviously Oklahoma joined the league there, but I do I do think that with this non conference schedule, it is going to be it's going to be it's going to be a little bit tough. But you go into uh, I'll tell you one thing I, that Utah game I think is going to be difficult. 
But the status on Cam Rising is uncertain, I believe. He he did tear his ACL in the mm-hmm. Rose Bowl. So the status is a little uncertain there. So they might be breaking a new quarterback. And if we come out and play well that night, I, if we pull an upset there, you're looking at you got Charlotte and McNeese State in games uh, in games two and four, and you got Tennessee sandwiched in between with the night game. Uh, Mike, you're a Tennessee guy. How many times have you won in the Swamp in the last two decades? When was the last time you all won in the Swamp? Wasn't it like 2004 or something like that? Been a minute, right? Yeah. It's been a minute. And even last year, yo, if you charted the game, I think I charted this after the Tennessee game last year, Florida and Tennessee. Florida gave up 86% of the total possible yards they could have given up to Tennessee last year. That's how good uh, Tennessee, That I mean, that offense, I hate when a rival has such a good team to watch at times that you actually really enjoy i enjoyed the hell out of that offense last year with the vols and uh they're fun to watch but if you're rooting against them boy was it a long day to watch that display up in knoxville you guys uh had a couple fumbles and that's about it i think we stopped on one fourth down that's that's about all we did against against tennessee last year but i do think that tennessee coming to the swamp might be a little sneakier than people give it credit for because that's a tough place to play in september Number one, it's very, very hot down there. Very, very hot in Gainesville that time of year. Tennessee has not had great luck down there. And there's something there's something to that. I think Florida's going to have that Utah game out of the way, and Tennessee's got a couple of cupcakes coming in. So Florida's going to be more battle-tested coming into that game. So do if if Florida can pull an upset in that Tennessee game, I, I feel great about getting a bowl game on that. So right. it, it'll be interesting. Some of those early games will be interesting. And to your point with that Tennessee-Florida game last year, Florida may even have had the lead. I'm thinking right before halftime, Tennessee, they went on like a 98-yard drive, needed some incredible plays to do it. They scored a Mm -hmm. touchdown right before half. And that was essentially the series that woke them up for the entire season. Maybe it would have been a completely different season had Florida stopped them there. But also while you were talking, I I got the – Georgia schedule here, just for clarification. UT Martin, mm-hmm. <laughs> Ball State, mm-hmm. UAB, and Georgia Tech. Yeah, that's that's their non-conference. So, I mean, it's – If we had that non-conference, <laughs> I'd say take – bet that up. Bet that up. But Florida State, of course, too, they're opening with LSU in Orlando. Right. That's a that's a travesty that that game's being played in Orlando. That, that game should absolutely be in Doe Campbell. They should have done a home-and-home home on that series. It's one thing to say New Orleans because that's the site of the Sugar Bowl. That's mm-hmm. in a great setting. New Orleans, uh, Orlando Stadium, it's not the same as the Superdome <laughs> in New Orleans. So no. I, I would have loved to see that one in Doe, but whatever. They're playing it in Orlando. But if, they, if FSU wins that game and starts out strong, I mean, that could be the FSU. I know a lot of people are talking about them being dark horse for the playoff this year, and they're certainly all in this year with the, with the senior quarterback and everything. But I do think that uh, – and we also get them at home. We do get FSU at home. And even though FSU was a better team than us last year, we went into Doak, and that, that was a ball game. Yeah. The, the biggest thing, if Florida had that trip up against Vanderbilt, we had a real ugly night against Kentucky. There was like – there were some good moments, but we had that ugly night against Kentucky, and then we go play great in, in on offense against Tennessee. And then it's like there was just it was that up and down roller coaster all season last season. We just couldn't quite 
get the feel for it at, at any point. You couldn't, we never settled in, had that great run where it felt like it was going to happen after the Georgia game where they go on the road, they beat Jimbo and the Aggies, and then they turn around, they crush South Carolina at home. And of course, we know how South Carolina finished the regular season. There were some great upsets. But that, that looked like the, okay, we're turning the page. we got a nice little schedule here down the stretch, and we'll go into that Florida State. And then the Vanderbilt happens out of nowhere. You're like, well, and I, I really respect the job that they're doing at Vandy with uh, Clark Lee. I really I really respect. I think they're building up that program mm-hmm. uh, a little bit. But that is not a game that I don't think we're at a point as a program where we should be like, oh, boy, Vandy, that's a real toss-up this year. I don't <laughs> think that should be the attitude around Gainesville if we want to go to places where we believe we belong. So if we don't trip up on stupid games like that this year – I would certainly say the five and a half is a on the overs is a good bet, and I, I guess it's six and six anyway. But if if things go, it depends on how things go. Really, honestly. Well, I'm glad you referenced toss up because you've got, uh, like you said, six and six Florida, but in the preview you got three wins for them, three losses, and this is just your projections, of course, with five toss up games. So mm-hmm. it it sounds like you know, what would that be two and. Or, or three and two, or I don't know how you define those toss-up games, but which one do you think is uh, the most critical that Florida wins this fall to have uh, at least a winning record, if not an even better record than that this fall? So we like to do win-loss or toss, we call it. Win-loss or toss because those toss-ups, that that's the defining linchpin games of the season, right? So for us, usually typically that LSU game is typically right in October. I know it's in November this year. The LSU game is usually that game because then if we get that win over LSU and we carry that into Georgia, then it sets up a big Georgia game typically. So that that's a great example typically year to year. I'd say this year, though, you want to see the team take care of business where they need to take care of business. So I, I, I like that if you, you talk about toss-up games, though, you got Tennessee coming down to the swamp. I know on paper that looks like te- oh Tennessee, the program's rolling again. Uh, Milton's got a cannon for an arm, but to me, let's be careful of giving Milton too much credit too early. All right, like I, I see the potential. I'm not I'm not blind. Have you I seen love how Heifel's far offense. he can throw He's the ball time and again? I'm just I know it's nice. Uh, we had a quarterback <laughs> that could throw the ball pretty far last year too. How'd that go? So. We, our guy had a cannon last year too. So it, it's it's not a guarantee. It's not a guarantee. And I think that also takes away by just thinking it's going to be a plug and play. It takes away a little bit for from how good Hook Hooker played throughout the year last year. It really takes away um credit from from what he did. But I mean certainly Tennessee has a lot of weapons. You would expect them to be back on offense uh, again anyway. So that but that Tennessee game early on, mm-hmm. if that's something that you can Pull that upset and beat because I'm I'm certain they're going to be underdogs in that game. But if you can pull that upset in that Tennessee game, take care of business at home, you got a good shot at being at least three and one headed into Lexington. Uh, and, and that you take care of Kentucky, all of a sudden we're not talking about five and a half. We're looking we're looking ahead and it's looking a little a little rosier coming out of there. But you know we've also seen those seasons where the games turn the other way. And if you don't take care of Tennessee at home, then all of a sudden yeah there could be two and three coming out of they could be a two and three coming out of September as well too. Right. So yeah, it, it is definitely, that's, that's why I put it. I, I don't, I'm not putting a lot of pressure or expectation on traveling to Utah, because if you look at how well they've played at Rice Eccles stadium, it, it, their record out there is phenomenal. 
And I have a ton of respect. Talk about a team that gets no love in the preseason and they always just come out and are great is, is Utah. Uh, but if we could, if we had somehow pulled off Utah and somehow pulled off Tennessee, you're looking at a whole different conversation here in September. Is it, is it impossible? No, I don't think that's impossible, but I do think that, uh, that Tennessee game, if you want me to circle one, that, that's the that's the one I'd really focus on early on. Right, and I, I'm going to be honest with you, Nick, I would much rather face a Utah. I mean, ho- hopefully Florida wins that game, but the, either way, that's going to better prepare you for Tennessee as opposed to being Tennessee mm-hmm. who plays Virginia on a neutral field, quote-unquote, in, in Nashville, but they're a 24-point favorite, and, and week two is a joke. They are They're not going to be – as prepared as they should be, I don't think, uh, until Saturday night in Gainesville. That's going to be the first test of the season. That is a, a hell of an environment to be tested with a quarterback that has proven he is inconsistent, has not proven that he can win on the road, has not proven he can win in the SEC. So I think it's damn crazy, anybody that is penciling Tennessee to just go down to Florida and beat them. I, I think that's insane. But let me ask you this, because from October 14th, which is South Carolina, all the way through Georgia, Arkansas, mm-hmm. LSU, at LSU, at Missouri. You've got every single oh. one of those games listed as either a loss or a toss-up. Mm-hmm. Does, does that mean, you know, there's a real opportunity to gain some momentum uh, at the tail end of the season and going into year three with all this hype, but there's also a, a dangerous, dangerous – hell, last – his first season they, they ended poorly – um, I mean, if if they go, I don't know, two and three at the tail end of that stretch, I mean, all this fire Billy Napier. That's I'm not saying they will, but I, but that that'll be the discussion for the next eight nine months. I mean, it th- that's a dangerous dangerous path I think for Billy Napier. I, they really need to finish strong. I feel like. I think people should look out what look up what his buyout is before that conversation gets any steam. <laughs> it, ain't, it, it ain't cheap. So I I don't, that's not, the other thing you have to look at is how many times do you need to do the same thing? And maybe I'm talking to a Tennessee guy here. Maybe you're the wrong audience to be speaking to. Just just don't hire Shiano. Yeah. You you wish you hired Shiano at this point though. At this point, you might wish you hired that guy. But I'm looking at it going, how many times do we need to hire a guy have two to three years and go, nope, next. What? Yeah. Let me tell you something. Billy Napier is a guy who is very detail oriented. He can't, he's coming. You hear about the binder all the time. You know, South Carolina wanted him. Auburn wanted him. All these places want him. This guy coached with Dabo at Clemson. He's coached with Saban. He, he knows how to recruit at a high level. He's got guys he might not be getting. The frustration right now is we're not quite closing on some of the guys that we would like to see. There's some kids going out of state. We got two big guys from out of state going. We got one guy committed to Ohio State, a receiver we're trying to flip. We got another guy that just committed out of Tampa, went going up to Clemson. So we're still seeing some of the same stuff, and it's frustrating. And like you said, we got one of the top 20 last year, right, on that. So we, we still need to do a better job. There still is that room for improvement under Napier. How many times are we going to do this three-year cycle thing? How well, how well has that been going for us? It's time to settle down and invest in a coach a little bit. This guy's a young guy that if he gets this thing right at Florida, if he gets this right, it, it could take off and we can have a great coach for a long time. I'm telling you, you go back to the Urban Meyer years, 
we didn't think Urban Meyer was going to be out of there in six years. Like that was a shock. That was a shock the way that whole thing ended. And and we have been a place. I mean, even Spurrier when he left Florida, part of the reason I, I he he had left is he he was feeling like we go eleven and two and nobody's happy with me. <laughs> we go ten and two and <laughs> it's just not good enough. It, it, it's I, it, I understand that and there's it's I know it's a pressure cooker and I know people talk about the money and certainly they make a lot of the the coaches make a lot of money. But you should see how much money the schools make. There's a reason why the schools make the, the coaches make that much money. But Florida has often been a place that it, it, we seem to run through coaches at, at different stretches of our history, and this is a guy that. I, I don't know how much better you're going to do than this guy's resume coming in. Like you could question different aspects of like, oh, Dan Mullen, did we settle on Dan Mullen when we hired Dan Mullen? McElwain, was he a fit at there? Like, you know, Muschamp, even Muschamp came in. I was so bummed out Muschamp didn't work out. But that guy came in and he's like, you know, we're gonna run the ball, we're gonna play defense, but we're Florida. We like we got the advisor. The guy with the visor likes to toss a ball, pitch the ball around a little bit, right? Yeah. We like offense. We want to score 50, but we're also wanting to shut the team out. Like, we we, we are – you can't satisfy us on either, either end. Like, we want the defense to be dominant. We want the offense to be dominant. We're not just an offense school or defense school. We think we can do it all because we've seen teams do it all. We have seen those teams, and we know that there's the capability. You see what George is doing right now. We know we're capable of building to that extent, but – I, what I'd like to see, Urban Myers flash in the pan for a couple of years, right? It didn't have the staying power with that savings hat. Mm-hmm. Steve Spurrier was here for a decade. He dominated. He could have kept going. He chose to leave. But that was a decade. That's a great run. That's a sustained decade run. That's a sustained great run. But outside of that, in the history of Florida football, it's you don't see that sustained. You see peaks and valleys. You see peaks and valleys all throughout. Let's invest in a guy who's young that can be here for a long time that can do a great job on the recruiting trail. He's not going to stick his foot in his mouth like the last two guys did. You know, I I liked I liked Mullen a lot. McElwain, McElwain was uh, uh not not my favorite, not my favorite hire of all time. But Mullen, I, I I understood it and and I thought there was a lot of things that Mullen did do well, but you need that complete guy at Florida. I I think and I think Mullen was weak in some areas and that cost him his job ultimately. So I think you have a guy who sees the full picture can create buy-in across the board is every you just hear is is the type of guy that wants to build you hear culture 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 all the time out of out of the building and that doesn't happen overnight so take the time invest in this guy because you got to because Georgia's done it it's it's happening at Georgia if we if we turn through Billy Napier in, two, in another three or four if he gets four years and we're done with them what are we doing. What do we like? What's next? Who's going to come in with a better resume than that guy? And that's how I, I do think that it requires. I'm not saying Napier's got a job for life, but what I'm saying is I, I, I preach it in the last page of the magazine there where we actually we actually uh, at one point I, I have the bulldog listed as a Terminator at one point with the half Terminator face and the half bulldog because that's what we're dealing with. But at the end. We 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 had the half gator terminator and it says we'll be back at the bottom. <laughs> but it preaches the last article really preaches patience and it talks about some legends in the sport where if they were hold to the stand held to the standard, and I hear the criticism back of people saying, like, oh well, you know, I use Bobby Bowden as one of the examples in the article. Guy started Florida State in nineteen seventy five, didn't win a national title till nineteen ninety three. A lot of great teams didn't win the national title. Took a while to really build up to those great teams, but it took him some time. 
you know, it's not going to be, I know Kirby did it overnight and I know Saban did it overnight and that's the model everybody wants. But if you can't have that model, what do, you got to invest at some point. You got to figure out what the direction is. You got to invest in the guy. And are we going to do much better than Billy Napier on the market? I just don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. And that's why I think he's a good guy to invest in. And I think that it is a direction. We signed Lagway and we signed a good class this, this season. In 2023, just it might be one of those things. It is what it is type of season. And you look to the future a little bit. And, and that's what I do think the recruiting, the problem with Mullen is we lost hope, hope on the recruiting trail. Mm-hmm. We're like, George is killing, we're getting killed here. We don't have any hope for the future. Billy Napier is creating a hope for the future, at least. So you might not see it in the product on the field this year as much. But and I'm not discounting it because they might they might have a good running game. The defense might be much better. Who knows? Who knows this season? But if it does, if it's frustrating on the field this season, there is that hope for the future, Mike. And that's something that the last guy did not provide. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think the real question, though, that is just hanging over the program, I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts. I know Florida's, they're all in, so they're, they're, we're going down this path regardless. But is it wise to use the Georgia-Alabama blueprint mm-hmm. while Georgia and Alabama are rolling and they are seemingly going nowhere on the recruiting trail, yet we're using that blueprint and we're not acquiring the talent. And, and I mean, that's the, that's the key. I mean, you, you do a podcast with Will Miles. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Talent, talent, talent. That's the main thing. I mean, unless you start beating Georgia and Alabama. Right. And, hell, even if you do beat out Georgia and Alabama on the recruiting trail, if Florida's number one, Georgia and Alabama are probably going to be two and three. Uh is it wise to use that blueprint that two programs are already using and dominating? Because in my mind, it's just, I mean, are, are there, is there really going to be three of them? I, I mean, I don't know. What, what's your thoughts on that? That's that's a great question. Uh, is LSU a good program? Do they, they do things pretty well down there in Baton Rouge. There's, there's, is A&M putting a ton of money into this? That's just the nature of the SEC. I don't think you can look at that and go and, and be afraid of that. I mean, Jimbo's a former Saban assistant as well. Sark's coming in at Texas, former Saban guy, right? Saban's got his fingerprints over all over the sport at this point. But I, 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 I think that is a good question that you're asking. I think it's a good question. But the map section of our article, I think, answers it. We don't need to go beat Georgia everywhere. We just need to start taking care of our backyard. They can't come into our state and take 19% of the top 20 players over a five-year period. They can't take one in every five almost out of our state for twenty uh, for, for a top 20 over a five-year period. They cannot keep doing that. We have to start getting more competitive in that area. And if Georgia keeps doing that, there's not going to be a difference. And, and that is the risk you run. So I think you're I think you're appropriate appropriately assessing the risk here. Of, of what you're doing, of what you're talking about. But at the same time, I do think the model works. And you got a guy that seems more capable because you got to remember, it's not our first saving guy. Right. Muschamp, Muschamp, McElwain, we've been down this road. We've been down this road. Like we've been told, oh, saving guy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Didn't work before. That's why with Mullen, I think people are really open to it because Mullen came in and he loosened things up and he was a, like, it was fun. The offense was interesting again. Had those Meyer ties. It was kind of bringing back that, that Percy Harvin's walking around camp. It's like, okay, like things were good. Tebow's got his old offense coordinator back. It, it, was, it looked great at first, right? It was a little bit of a fresh air, breath of fresh air at first. But then when you realize that the recruiting wasn't matching the, you know, the offensive game plans, it, 
maybe, maybe this we're getting beat. The saving model is just crushing us right now. So the fact that we have a guy that can come in and, hey, maybe we finish behind Georgia in the recruiting rankings, but we're going to be a lot closer. The gap's going to close. And then eventually the gap closes enough. Did it take a few years for Kirby to use Saban's model to get ahead of Saban? And is he even arguably – I know a lot of people want to declare it. I know a lot of people want to just dismiss Alabama. They lost two games by four points last year, man. They didn't – they're not falling off as a program as a whole. They're still in the hunt. They're, they're still very much the, the the team. I know Georgia's got the title right now. They're the, they're the big dogs on top of the hill right now. So respect to them for winning the last two national championships – but they overcame Alabama, and five years ago, that seemed quite insurmountable, didn't it? That yeah. that seemed insurmountable. We've seen LSU rise up and do it for a year. They didn't follow the model. They fell off the cliff, right? So I would argue that the more teams that subscribe to this model, the better for those programs, but you're going to close the gap at least. So at least on the recruiting trail, you will have those competitive games. We need we, Mike. We were twenty-two point underdogs going into Jacksonville last year, I believe, somewhere in that neighborhood. Three touchdown underdogs. That's atrocious. That cannot stand. We cannot let that stand. And I do believe that you go into uh, Jacksonville and you're you know your six point dog or something like that. We're going to close that gap. It's going to get it's going to get closer over the over the years. It is going. It's a mountain to climb with Georgia to get there. And you know what? Georgia did it with Alabama. They did it using the saving model as well. So if you're telling me, can another program do it? That's a really good question. But we saw it happen with Georgia and Alabama. Why why can we do it to catch Georgia? And that's, I, I do think that, uh, but you know, a few years ago, a few years, years ago, I probably would have been more on that side of questioning things with it. It's like, there, how many savings are there? Mm-hmm. it's great that you hired a guy the guy breathed in the same room that nick saban did so he knows everything <laughs> nick saban does like what are we doing but i'm telling you napier's i i think he's a different dude i this guy can run for political office and actually be someone that people respect <laughs> running for political <laughs> office i mean i'm not getting into politics here but you see some of the options we have in, in our world today like billy napier would actually get up behind a microphone and people would be like oh i don't despise that guy like but he's not going to beat himself he built you constantly hear from guys on the recruiting trail how genuine he is, and, and, and it, it comes across as as uh, as something that's that that is genuine as well. I don't think he's an act. I, I don't think you can act like that. I don't. I don't think you can fake it for that long. I, th- I think the guy is a genuine dude, and I think it's going to take time to for people to give him. Right now, Kirby calls you. It's Kirby. You got the brand with that as well, right? But Kirby had to earn that. Kirby, Kirby's up there with Saban at this point, but he wasn't a couple years ago. And, and that, and that take, you got to earn that on the field. And so if Florida can deliver and can we cut the Georgia, can we cut the Georgia take from Florida in half? I'm not saying you're never going to get rid of Georgia out of the state. They're going to come down here and take players, but can we cut it in half? Can we chip away? And that, I think that's the mission over the next couple of years. Start that, start chipping away. And you know what? Maybe they get a quarterback situation where, it's uncertain or one of these five-star guys doesn't develop. We have Lagway come in and really take off. And all of a sudden it's a lot different looking game in two years. Look how, look at Josh Heupel, what he did in year one to year two. Right. Mm-hmm. So things could change quickly within a couple of years. And, and that's why I, 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 when I'm preaching patience this year, and, and that's kind of a theme with throughout our magazine, and we keep talking about having a little bit of patience, but patience has to come with results. We understand that. 
And I do think if the results on the recruiting trail, maybe we're the sixth best class in the nation, but if we're, you know, maybe Georgia's at one or two, so we're behind Georgia, but are we closing the gap? If the answer is yes, I think we're going in the right direction. You mentioned uh, the, uh, the Urban Meyer era. I have to ask you this. Are you more excited or nervous about this Netflix documentary and what it could reveal about the uh, the urban days down there in Gainesville? Yeah, so I actually was in college during those years, and I, I have a soft spot for those teams. I love those teams. And um, I, I, I tell you, maybe this comes – my dad's from New Jersey and his family's Sicilian, so maybe this is like the Sicilian blood in me coming out here, but – you better not mess with our family. And, and they're going to, by the way, Netflix, what the heck? Like, look at what they're putting out. <laughs> you, like, you know, it's not going to be like, this was a wonderful team who had a great, and, and I'm just, I'm just hoping they don't spend too much time. on. I know it's coming at some point, Mike, I know it's going to come at some point, And I know it's the guys that they, they said it was the guys that did the Manti Teo mm-hmm. documentary, which that was, I even got my wife to sit down and watch that one. Yeah. with me and and so like that i know they did a good job but that was the type of that was a salacious story that did this that was the perfect type of story for that if they go that angle and they spend the aaron hernandez stuff is is gets way too featured in it and and they talk spend all day talking about that and not how great percy harden was because in the moment right in the moment i i believe telling a story that's true to the moment um one of the projects like I'm working on right now, I, I'm, I'm starting to start right now to script a little bit here, but I did a deep dive in the 80s into this coach, Charlie Pell at Florida. Give him hell, Pell era at Florida. <laughs> and Pell went 0-10-1 in 1979. He came over from Clemson, went 0-10-1, but he recruited the bones of that Clemson team, which Danny Ford won the national title with two years later in 81. So he was the, he, he was the one that kind of flipped things around at Clemson, got the job at Florida, ends up coming down to Florida, uh, he was he played for Bear Bryant, so Bryant was the one that always said Florida's a sleeping giant in the SEC. So I'm sure Bryant had something to do. <laughs> I'm sure he had a bug in his ear about that, and I'm sure that's one of the influences that uh, caused him to take the job. But what what Pell did was he built up team. We won our first. We only won our first SEC title in 1984, and that was 51 years after the league started. Right, we had been a member from the start in 1933. We win our first title in 1984. The NCAA comes in and strips us, and uh, uh, or they they sanction us. But the SEC afterward, they gave us the title, but then they stripped the title that following spring. Mike, go look up the 84 SEC title. I, I think your boss might have had something to do with it. Go look up the 84 SEC title. It says vacated. It says vacated. It doesn't say our name. So it was taken away. It was taken away from us. And and all it's almost like the black sheep era of Florida football. People just don't talk about it. But if you dig in to the types of players that were on the campus, Wilbur Marshall came through. There were some amazing players, unbelievable talent on those teams. And it all just kind of gets lost in the history books because people didn't really talk about that era all that much. And 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 so whenever there's a little dark cloud associated with a certain era of of football people kind of just eh, they just kind of start pushing it to the side a little bit and i feel like this team had a lot of things happen after those guys left campus but those 1980s team the comparison i was going to make the 84 team if you zoom in on that season that was a magical year for any gator football fan and people that lived through that time they talk about that with reverence they loved those teams and they were so proud of those guys 
I think there was like 30,000 people in the stadium when they got back, they won the last game at Kentucky and they, they got back and they finally broke through and beat Georgia, who was a monster at that time. Herschel Walker had just destroyed our souls for a couple of years. If you look up Herschel Walker, actually don't, don't look up Herschel Walker <laughs> against the Gators because that highlight tape is quite unbelievable <laughs> and very painful to watch. I've watched all those games. It's awful, but those games are so good. There were so many good teams. Florida finally overcame Georgia in that moment. And that moment just got pushed aside because there was controversy around it. Like this Florida team, I, I believe about telling the story in the moment. So that 84 team, I would love to tell that story in the moment, just like this 06 through 09 group deserves. And in the moment, Florida fans, we love those teams. We love those teams. Chris Leak's senior year, his second year, it, he came to Florida under Zook, Chris Leak. He mm-hmm. actually got booed at one point. In 06, because everyone was so excited about Tebow, he got booed in the swamp. Everyone remembers him with the trophy over his head. It was a tough season at, at, at different points for Lee, but they got it together. They had a nice run. They ran. They, they got through it at the right time. They All the breaks went their way. They had a great block against South Carolina to, to stay in the hunt, win the SEC title. All the upsets that need to happen, happen. Boom, you're in the national championship game. You pull the upset over Ohio State. You whoop them, and, and everything looks great. But in the moment, Simultaneously, the basketball team was winning national titles sandwiched in between. Tebow wins a Heisman, and and then they win in 08 as well. So that's what was the atmosphere on campus. And people love the basketball teams. They love those football teams. Tebow's an absolute legend. The guy had a plaque of the, the promise against Ole Miss on the stadium wall while he was still playing football on campus. How many guys <laughs> getting bronze? When they're still playing, Mike, how many guys look it up? I don't know. Zero. Like this guy was had memorials to him outside of campus that will stand the test of time while he was still playing football at the school. Insane. So people love these these teams. And then after they leave, obviously what happened with Hernandez is an absolute tragedy. Terrible, 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 terrible. Like uh, nobody like that's tough. But in the moment, those teams had a certain certain pull and, and, and Gator Nation love those teams and I hope they tell the right story mm. and don't go in and drag in all the BS in from afterward because I'm sure some Tennessee if you want to go digging into Tennessee players that, that were great players at Tennessee they did some stupid things after I'm, I'm not trying to sound casual about and obviously what Hernandez did was terrible very serious but it was something outside of what he did at Florida it was and, and by the way Hernandez on those teams you think Percy you think Tebow you think that defense, Hernandez was a great player. He's an All-American tight end. He was absolutely a part of that team. But I hope they tell the right story, Mike. That's that's my long-winded version to say I hope they tell the right story because in the moment, that was not how those teams were perceived. I, I saw a, a guy from Barstool going on, oh, there's like 30 criminals on this team. That is not – that was not the atmosphere on, on campus. I hope they reflect – and some of those 30 for 30s are so great. Like – um, Certainly, like the Pony Excess, right? Was one mm-hmm. that's always one of my favorites. The, the U, I think they do a great job because they take you into those moments and show you the excitement. They show you, like, the U was one of my favorites too because Schnellenberger, they talk about how he recruited inner city Miami and different parts of Miami that, that the program had stayed away from. And he would leave the pipe at the, at the kid's house and they'd, that's Schnellenberger's pipe for the week, but he did it so he could go back, right? Like th- th- so many of those stories, <laughs> that was the atmosphere in the moment. You could look back and have perspective from the past but or from the future, but I hope the, the best ones, I think, tell stories that are true to the moment, and I hope that's reflected. I know it won't be.
though in this yeah. Netflix series. So, <laughs> so I'm not super excited about it, but I'll watch it and I'll give my honest opinion about it. But if if they get it wrong, I was joking with Will. Maybe we'll have to do our own documentary. We wrote a magazine. We figured out a magazine. Let's figure out documentaries now. Why not? We can do it. All right, uh, Nick, I really appreciate all your time. T- uh, took uh, Kept you way too long. So before you go, tell people where to follow you and where to get the preview magazine. And we'll put a link in the show notes if people want to go ahead and pre-order it. But go ahead and tell all the audience. Yeah, so we're actually doing a second run on the magazine. We sold out our first run. Thank you to everybody for the support uh, that ordered one. Uh, getting great feedback on that so far. Uh, if you want to get a second one, go to readreaction.com slash mag. And you can order one. If you get it in by next Friday, the 16th, you'll have it by about July 4th. We're shooting for that July 4th time frame for the next round. If you just want a digital copy, you're someone that prefers to read it on a Kindle, uh, you can go on right now on readandreaction.com slash mag, and you can order it online right now. Uh, you can follow me as well at Nick Knudsen, K-N-U-D-S-E-N, at Nick Knudsen on Twitter. And uh, our show on YouTube, uh, Stand Up and Holler, we do a show every week on the Read and Reaction YouTube channel. So, and Mike, love your show, man. Uh, you, you and uh, the only thing I'm disappointed about, I was hoping to meet Shane tonight. I was hoping <laughs> to meet Shane tonight. So that's the only thing I'm bummed out about because I, I love y'all's content and I think you guys are doing a great job. Keep up the good work. I look forward to uh, listening throughout the fall, man. Hey, I appreciate that. But we consider Cousin Shane the talent. So he never does anything <laughs> that he doesn't have to, you know, show up for. So I'll, I'll let him know that you, that you said hi. But I can't thank you enough, man. And and uh, thanks for all the what a great conversation I, I really enjoyed it look forward to it mike look forward to talking again soon mike hey buddy this beer's for you mike and cousin shane that sec podcast loves the pirate and the pirate loves that sec podcast hail state